This is a podcast from the Business Times. These days, it feels less like we're figuring out how to invest our money better and more like sifting through fact or fiction. I'm always asking financial experts how we can be assured of the veracity of the information out there. And short of saying like that law, they usually say bone up on your knowledge. Gee, thanks. Big help. Especially since at 50, my mom is still yelling at me, money doesn't grow on trees, you know. But let's try one more time to ask experts what they think the biggest money myths are and how to mitigate the damage if you've fallen foul of them. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by the Business Times where we explore useful financial tips to help you on your money managing and wealth growing journey. I'm Howie Lim. We start with David Kuo, co-founder of The Smart Investor. This as far as I'm concerned is probably one of the biggest. It is one that many people fall foul to and it is that we can make money by jumping in and out of the stock market. No one can predict the short-term movement of share prices. We can't predict what a share price will do in the next minute, in the next hour, in the next day, in the next week or even in the next month. We may not even predict what a share price will do in the next year. But what we can however say is that in the long term, over the long term, share prices will always be driven by the performance of the company. We might think that we can somehow second guess the direction of share prices. We might even get it right once or twice, but we're never going to be able to get it right every single time. And so it is far better to spend time looking at a business and looking at the fundamentals of the business rather than listen to somebody whether that somebody is in a coffee shop, whether that somebody is on air, on television, in the newspaper saying, "Oh, buy this stock because this will go up." You would be much better off looking at the fundamentals of the company. People spend more time sometimes looking at the fundamentals of a television set before they go out and buy it than they do looking at the fundamentals of a company, and that is where a lot of people go wrong when they invest. And they believe that somehow the stock market is just one big casino where you go in and you place your bets and you either win or you lose, and they end up losing. Lovely. So I'm one for one. But at least my new 65-inch OLED smart TV looks and is amazing. Yeah, but I should be concentrating on profit saturation, not color saturation. But penny pinching and self-denial are myths too. That's not the way to grow wealth, I think. The greatest myth is that any investor really can pick the right time to be invested. There's two types of psychology in investing. There's the crowd follower who has FOMO, and when everyone gets excited and wants to be invested, they jump in when they start reading it in the paper. Inevitably, the market's already moved up quite a lot at that stage. When the market turns down later on, they get fud and they bottle out and get out of their positions. On the other side are the people who are sort of always waiting, always cautious, and、uh, they're always waiting for the dip. To buy, and they tend not to buy because whenever it starts to dipping, they think, "Well, it can go a little bit lower," and I'm feeling cautious. Both of those types of trader are trying to time the market too much, and I don't think that that produces a successful outcome. There's many large companies that spend billions of dollars on on trying to time the markets, and、uh, an individual investor could never really compete with them and get their timing right. Ooh, that's a big one. Timing the market, and both David from Smart Investor and Adam Reynolds from Saxo Singapore. Are listing it as one of the top and still prevalent myths, and after all that markets have been through, you'd think we'd learn that lesson. Okay, remind us, David, what should we be doing then? 
you need to invest in good companies and don't try and be too greedy. One of the best ways of investing in any stock market is probably to buy an ETF, an exchange traded fund, a stock market index tracker, call it whatever you want. By investing in a stock market index tracker, you are immediately diversifying your investment. So if you buy a Singapore Straits Times Index stock market index tracker, you are investing in 30 companies rather than to actually place your bet on any one company company doing well in a short period of time. And if you were to actually sort of invest in that and hold that investment for the long term, you could be getting somewhere between, say, 7 or 8% a year compounded. And over a 10-year period, you could find you've actually doubled your money. Just take it one small step at a time. And that way, I think you will actually regain your confidence investing in, in shares and investing in the stock market and be able to grow your wealth over the long term. Adam's suggesting an even slower pace, though, especially since a lot of people still feel like they need to have enough money before they start investing. But enough is subjective, isn't it? There's a really good way of investing, especially if you don't have any investments in the market at a certain point of time, and that is to move in slowly. Spend 12 months building an investment portfolio, averaging in with a similar amount each month over the space of that time. Doing that basically helps you to deal with the concept of the market going up and down during that period. It helps you to average in. If the market goes down after you've started buying, that's great. You're buying more units each time with the same amount of dollars. If the market goes up, you're buying less units with the same amount of dollars, but you also have some profits already built in there. And as you spread that out over time, that becomes a very good way of investing. And over time, clients should always be averaging in or dollar cost averaging into their portfolios. We're always told to understand our risk tolerance because the young have more time in the market than, say, someone who's 10 years away from retirement. Because when markets are going up, the tendency is to feel like you have more risk tolerance than you actually do. And when markets go down, you revert to being risk averse. One should figure out how having losses in their portfolio will make them feel. Adam has more words for us. The worst thing an investor can do is when the portfolio is down 30 or 35% is go, I don't want to invest anymore and panic. So you need to make sure your portfolio is set at a risk level that you're not going to panic when the market goes down. It is safe to say don't look too much. Yeah, it's safe to say, well, look, I've got more to invest. The market's lower. This is good. I'm buying at better rates than I was before. We know anyone who looks at a long, long-term chart of the market knows that inflation and productivity uh, drive long-term growth in the stock market. You want to be in that. And we have periods, one, two, three years, where the market goes sideways or down. You take those opportunities to invest more. And that's really what building a long-term wealth portfolio is about. Anecdotally, many think that a financial game changer can be giving up that daily coffee purchase. It's more than that, I'm sure. Christopher Tan is CEO and co-founder of Provident. He feels it goes even beyond just spending within one's means. Spending within our means simply means that, you know, if you spend $1,000 or rather you earn $1,000 and you spend $1,000, but that doesn't allow you to save very much, what is more important is to spend below. Uh, a lot of people think that investment is the one that makes them rich. But that's not the purpose of investment. The purpose of investment to help you stay rich. What can really help you become financially wealthy is your earning power. So always stay relevant and work hard. Your income is the one that is going to help you financially wealthy. The investment is just there to beat inflation. Still to come, what are some of the other money myths that we might be holding on to and what to do now that they've been busted? 
a monthly podcast inspired by the Business Times column, Off the Record, joined the BT Podcasts lineup in April. Conversations in which editors from the newsrooms of SPH Media discuss the modern news industry from their insider's perspective. Hi, I'm Howie Lim, correspondent at the Business Times. In the next episode of Editors Talk, I'll be getting insights into the strategy and thought process that took BT Podcasts from experiment to business unit at the Business Times. Are there more transformational changes to come? What is the potential of podcasts in today's digital world? And where does AI fit into the future of BT Podcasts? Information that doesn't just affect me directly, but might give you answers in your business sector's digital transformation journey. BT's podcast editor Clarissa Montero joins us next. Out May 8th. Check in for the latest in editor's talk from the Business Times. And now, back to Money Hacks from the Business Times. We've been talking about the biggest money myths out there, according to some financial experts. And for now, the biggest one seems to be thinking you can time the market. David Ferguson is co-founder and CEO of Hugo. He has another thought, though. The one that I think is the biggest myth is that property prices always go up. And that hasn't necessarily gotten people into trouble yet, but I feel it will do if they're not careful. Everyone thinks it, you know, we live in Singapore, it's a place where a lot of people are focused on the price of property, whether it's your BTO price or REIT prices, there's a lot of interest out there. But what's happened with property prices generally around the globe is interest rates have come down over a very, very long period, really from the 1970s onwards. And property prices are in effect the inverse of the interest rate, which means if interest rates go down, property prices are by and large going up. So... We've had that for a long, long, long time. So people have gotten accustomed to it. They've grown to rely on it with their savings. And people have overweighted property within their portfolios. And I think in this environment, where interest rates are perhaps not looking like they're going to rise on a structural basis, but certainly not looking as like they've got a downward path anymore, one needs to reconsider how property fits in one's portfolio. Phew, at least I'm one for two. But come on, given the trajectory of property prices and how our property market seems to have withstood a global property downturn, one can't be called stupid for believing this, right? Well, see, this is the problem with property is that on the one hand, it's a sort of consumer durable. And on the other hand, it's an investment. We all need a place to live. And, you know, if you've got one property... That's absolutely fine. There's, I mean, you're, you've got, you're going to live in it for a long period of time. So frankly, you're somewhat immune to the price of it. The people I'm talking about or would like to sort of address my comments to are the chaps who've dealt with their property, but have also gone long property in another form, either through maybe second residential homes or through exposure to commercial properties, people buying perhaps units in shopping malls and that type of thing, or going long REITs. Those guys, I think, are the ones that need to be slightly careful in this environment, because if we do have a sustained period of upward rates, rising interest rates, then those investments are going to get hit. Ah, so it's the property flippers and the greedy. What to do then? Take a long, hard look at your property needs. You obviously need a place to live and then reconsider your other exposures. So for example, let's say you've got a property that you live in and you've got a mortgage and you've decided that you want to be exposed to what you thought was a fairly consistent income instrument like a REIT. You've saved consistently into REITs. Well, perhaps this is the time when you should take a look and go, you know what, 
I'd rather not be multiply exposed to property prices through REITs, which are levered exposures to property, plus a levered exposure to my property, including my mortgage. Perhaps the smart thing to do is sell my REITs, pay down my mortgage and just live in the property I'm in. I'm starting to feel slightly better about myself. Granted, I need to spend more time doing due diligence and not rely 100% on my advisor. But I'm frugal. I'm investing. I stick it out. One of the biggest money myths, especially when it comes to investment, is about keeping a lousy investment that has been losing money and thinking that if you sell, you will realize losses and thus you will only sell it later when it recovers. So you keep it for as long as uh, it doesn't recover. First of all, maybe let me explain why is it a myth for two reasons. If it's a lousy investment, it is unlikely that it will recover. And if it does, it may take a long time. Secondly, you don't realize a loss when you sell an investment that is losing money and switch it to a better investment. You only realize a loss if you sell to cash and you keep it in cash. Don't do nothing. Do some work to first decide if the investments you are holding onto is lousy and unlikely to recover and find something better. Don't keep water in a leaking pail and hope that when it rains, the pail will be full again. Rather, transfer the water into a good pail so that when it rains, you have a chance that it will be filled up. Oh joy, so I'm two for three. Makes you want to just revert to making sure I don't spend too much, go to thrift stores, buy in bulk, get bundled deals and eat cheap food. Adam from Saxo also thinks it's more than that though. I think the most important thing from a day-to-day spending is understanding your own budget, how much you spend on things. It's very easy to spend money without realising you're spending it. So I think having a good budget and sticking to it and being disciplined and making sure saving is part of that budget is important. And there's lots of good tools out there for assessing your usage of money and keeping up to date with that is a very good habit to get into from an early age. Here's the thing. There's a plethora of information out there. Granted, it's not always easy to filter truth from misinformation, but there really isn't any excuse for ignorance anymore. Okay, maybe you don't have time, interests or whatever. You can always talk to someone, but don't panic and lose your head. Here's Christopher from Provident. That is why we see a lot of people always looking for super high return, uh, sometimes really unrealistic kind of investments for them to invest in, thinking that, you know, that is the way that they will become rich. But actually, it doesn't have to be so complicated. As long as you have strong earning power, you spend below your means and you have a huge surplus and you find those investments that give you realistic returns, depend on the compounding power of that. And that's the one that is going to get you to the wealth that you need. But well, along the way, if you happen to invest in something very bad, well, I hear of people holding on to it. When I ask them why aren't they selling it, they are telling me, you know, no, no, no. You know, if I sell it now, I realize my losses. So I'm not going to sell it. I'm just going to wait for it to recover first. But like I said, it's like a pill that is leaking. You know, even if it rains, it's never going to be filled up. That's why I gave that as a myth, not selling when the investment is really under the water and it's a lousy investment. I think psychologically, it's difficult to accept that I have made a bad investment psychologically, you know, if I sell straight away, I'm losing money. So I hang on to that. I hang on to that myth that no, no, I will just wait for it to recover first. It's a misunderstanding. You are only losing money if you sell it into cash and you keep it in cash. And yes, it's never going to recover anymore. But why not switch to something that's going to help you recover? So you've got to look at it from that perspective. 
you know, before you invest. And even if you use a trusted advisor, I will say beef up in your own knowledge. You can't trust your advisor 100% or rather you cannot rely on your advisor 100%. You got to got some knowledge on your own before the advisor can actually coach you properly. So yes, please beef up your knowledge, listening to podcasts like this. I mean, today as compared to 20 years ago, the information is plenteous. So it's not difficult. It's just a matter of discipline. Thanks for the plug, Christopher. We've been discussing the biggest money myths. Big thanks to Christopher Tan from Providen, David Kuo from The Smart Investor, Adam Reynolds from Saxo, and David Ferguson of Hugo. From The Business Times, this has been Money Hacks. I'm Howie Lim. Till next time. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.